hello everybody and welcome back to the Station 5 Flight Lounge podcast. I'm here today with uh, Aaron. Hey. And Jackson. Hello. And I am Lewis. Uh, today we are going to be talking about uh, strategy games. Um, I think initially we started with uh, RTSs and then uh, thought that, that was too niche. So we've broadened our horizon slightly. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Who wants to get started? Well, uh, I want to start with the fact that we, we wanted to make sure we had a guest in on the show finally. Finally. <laughs> we've been talking about it a few times. <laughs> Only every episode since we started. What, all three of them? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, I am guest. <laughs> Hello, guest. Thank you. <laughs> Do you want to introduce yourself to the class? Oh, well, this is the most on-the-spot thing ever. <laughs> Hi, class. My name is Jackson Chang, and I like games. Hi, Jackson. <laughs> Thank you. How do we all feel about strategy games? I feel strategic. Neat. I feel strategically... <laughs> I feel strategically inclined towards strategy games. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, let's, let's start with one of the obvious. What was your favourite strategy game when you, when you were first getting into the genre? As an aside, yeah. this is like what Aaron was like. He's like, oh... I'll ask you an easy question. What's your favourite game of all time? And I'm like, oh, an easy one. And I guess we're starting the same way here. <laughs> uh, well, my favourite strategy game growing up was, was Age of Empires. Yeah, you get it in your cereal box. That was amazing, by the way. <laughs> I think I got mine with a pizza. With a pizza? Yeah. Mine was from Special K. Yeah, I got so many games with pizzas. I think, go to the Sims. I think mine was Cocoa Pops. Yeah, I remember like there there was some sort of promotion where um, pizzas had all those demo discs. I remember it like being on YouTube. Oh no, no they were like full it. games. It was the best thing. Really? It's like thirty bucks for a pizza and Sims. Wow, that sounds like an Australia thing. Yeah. Yeah. They even doing it these days. There was like the new um, Final Fantasy online game. They came with a pizza. What? what? Yeah, it was what? like fifty bucks to get a like a three man combo and the latest copy of the MMR. That's what? awesome. Where yeah. do I get that? <laughs> From <laughs> We're not sponsored by Domino's, by the way. Other Although pizzas... if they would like to. <laughs> yeah, welcome. <laughs> Other pizza va- vendors are available. <laughs> um, probably the one I enjoyed the most uh, out of all the ones I've gone along with outside of Age of Empires, I really enjoyed Invisible Ink. Uh, very much a concept where you, you go about with a bunch of spies infiltrating um, compound to steal back a like AI. Oh, okay. Um, and so you like, you have a bunch of, uh, advanced tech, like invis suits and ray guns and uh, tasers and stuff like that. But then you also have the hacking side of things as well. And it was just like, it was an experience I really enjoyed, but never was able to go back to. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I I find that so much with games. Like there's games that the first time is amazing. And then every other time you play like 20 minutes and yeah, it doesn't quite live up to that, like, first experience. Yeah. Like, it's not that it's bad, it's just a lot of the experience is based around it being the first time. So I know what yeah, I like. guess so. It, like, kind of semi-teaches you what to do, and then once you get it, it's like, ah, this eureka moment. And then, I yeah. guess from then on, you just know what you're doing. and You play a bit on autopilot once you've done it the first time? Yeah, like... like so I, I went to university for game design, right? Yeah. And a big thing they talk about there is the flow of a game. 
Just like how, if you manage like a graph, it's like how difficult something is versus how good you are at it. Okay. And if you're too good or if it's too difficult, the game's not fun. Yeah. Because it's just easy or too difficult. You want like a nice middling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like, I feel like that's the problem with it is you come into a game with all this expertise and you just crush it. And it's like, oh. Yeah, okay. So that leads... A bit of a, a, an underwhelming experience. Mm. I think it's the same thing I have with Dark Souls, which is like, I love that game to death, but I kind of can't replay it after a little bit. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It leads into a discussion I once heard about um, how video games translate to people who haven't played video games and how the yeah. progression of getting into video games is actually a bit of a, a weird learning curve where like one might pick up a Mario or a Shovel Knight and be able to just progress through because they know where they're going. But then when they quickly pick up uh, say a 3D game like Dark Souls or, or something one. that's that's vaguely open world. Yeah, they get very much lost all the time. I'm like, where do I yeah. go from here? Even if they have like the marker, there was one where they had played um, Shovel Knight and they jumped to Skyrim and they were like, I don't know where to go. I so, think we watched the same video. Yes, <laughs> I I actually have first hand experience of this. Right, so uh, I have a friend. She is amazing at navigating like the real world, right? She yeah. knows exactly where she is. She can get from point A to point B super we- super easily, right? She has a 19th uh, uh, navigation. We started playing... Um, oh, it, was, it was actually Division 2. Mm. Um, and she was just entirely lost. Entirely mm. lost, despite having a map and markers. Just completely was like, where Wild. am I now? Where am I now? And I think maybe it's like a... Like a not really caring or needing to care about the late, where no you urgency. Are. Well, one one thing I looked into once, which is really interesting, which is as a you know as a person who's played games all their life, it's really easy to just quickly look at something and tell if there is more there or not more there. Mm. Like, is this a dead end? Is this a secret? But as someone who's new to games, they always mm. think like, oh, there must be a massive thing in every direction. They get kind yeah, of yeah, well, yeah. Game design is very indicative of where you should and shouldn't yeah, be exactly. going particularly in like linear games for mm. example you know it's like that uh, compulsion to check every room in the house before you go to the quest room yeah yeah, yeah. but like imagine that if you didn't know what a chest looks like yeah so you're like looking through every tiny little bit of scrap looking for like maybe there's loot under here yeah it makes or it really maybe I'll find a prompt yeah like over here press E to open chest yeah <laughs> like on that video we watched right yeah. Um, they were talking about, I think it was Uncharted. Mm. And in Uncharted, they telegraph climbables as they're being coloured yellow. Yes. But the person didn't pick up on that, because it's like a pretty common trope, but yeah. it's weird. Mm. So they were trying to climb everything. Yeah. But they were, but like, yes. it wasn't intuitive. For I found the same thing with the um, newer Tomb Raider games, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you can set the level of like help in terms of environmental cues that you want. <gasps> Um, but you know, anything that's climbable has like a white chalky yeah, edge. Yeah. I mean, that's kind know. of the standard one these days, right? Yeah, the white chalky yeah. edge. What's... But I, I liked that it, there was a, a slider for that. Oh you know? really? You could like turn it off? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you could turn it entirely off, have it at minimal mm. or just like go all the way. Like, yes, I want to know exactly what I can climb and when I can <laughs> climb it. <laughs> Did you ever play Mirror's Edge? Yes. That yes. was the best example is the hard difficulty on that game. Is it just turns off the red glow on things you can climb. Totally. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. So you can play the entire game just kind of like in the moment, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they were a little better um, with that because uh, like some stuff was like clearly climbable, like small ledges and yeah. those sorts of things, but they didn't necessarily glow red. Mm. Uh, it was more of the like difficult or perhaps like hard to spot stuff that, that glowed. 
What do you think in saying that is the average like difficulty curve of learning gaming? If that's the whole case of like some of us are getting lost when <laughs> doing that, do you think it takes several amount of months or I mean, variety? Well, that's, like... that's, there's quite uh, a lot of variables on that, right? Because mm. some people have like some game experience, but not a lot. Some people have absolutely zero. Mm. It honestly depends. And then depends on the kind of game that you're coming into, you know? So it's like learning a new language? <laughs> kind of. Because, yeah, like, of. I know that I've played games, like, my earliest memory was probably playing a game. Probably same to you. Yeah, but yeah, I've, whole but life. <laughs> I remember you saying you came to games, like, a bit late. Was that correct? Yeah, I did. So, um, growing up, my parents were, like, very much like, let's, let's go outside. Let's go to the beach. Let's go on a nice walk. Let's do these sorts of things. Yeah. Um, my first real entry into gaming that was mine and mine alone... Mm. I was probably 10 or 11, hmm. you know, and at that time, like, PS2 was in full swing. Um, how well did you pick it up? Like, what what was it, and then how long did it take? Well, I kind of had some experience uh, with, like, playing things like Crash Bandicoot and Spyro and those sorts of things on the, PlayStation the 1. Yeah, 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 at, at yeah. my friend's place. It was easy to, like, oh, I'll do a level, and you can yeah, do a level... Yeah. And die by die, yeah, etc. Yeah, yeah. And in that situation, when the friend is nearby, it's easy to be like, "What's the jump button? What's this button?" Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. You like there was a level of coaching in my ear. Yeah, um, yeah. But then, yeah, I went straight into um, PS2, and I I don't remember what my first game was, but it was probably Crash Bandicoot, <laughs> <laughs> just because it was something I knew, right? Yeah, yeah. I played so many hours of Russian <laughs> Clank in that. Yeah. I think I got a PS2 to play Kingdom Hearts. Like, I played it at a friend's place, right? And I yeah. just fell in love with it. So I got a PS2 to play that game. That's very much in, like a, a weird strategy genre because it feels like every game they change the combat. Uh, it's not really a strategy game. Like, <laughs> it's a hack and slash game. Yeah. Although I think... With like, light strategy elements. Well, as, as I think we'll go into, a lot of hack and slash games are strategy games to a certain extent. Mm. Yeah, I guess. Like, this enemy has this attack pattern, mm. so I'll... Do this kind of yeah, movie. a bit like the yeah, Final Fantasy. This side. Well, I mean, I think there's two different ones that really come to mind. Is you know, Dark Souls, which is very much what you just described. Right? Yeah, it's like learn the patterns, dodge the patterns, counter the patterns. Absolutely. But then there's things like um, Hotline Miami. Yeah. Where it's like memorization, right? Like if I, you know, it's like the entire level is a puzzle, and you got to solve the puzzle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Even though it's. It's an action game, right? Yeah. It's a puzzle game. It's a strategy yeah, yeah, yeah. game. You do have games that will also be a little bit less like fighting hack and slash games, but still have that puzzle element a bit like Gunpoint, where you've got to move mm. about and control the lights in order to get through those levels. Yeah. One thing I really like about games like that is that they really let you choose how you want to approach the game. Mm. Like, I know you can play Gunpoint as pretty much an action game and never really touch the, like, at the end you turn on the button that opens the elevator. Or you can play that game as like an entirely strategy game, make every connection and basically never engage in combat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, like um, stealth-based games technically could be considered a strategy, you know, like... Oh, yeah, for sure. What's your strategy for approaching this compound, for example? Are you going to go for like a dishonored... Uh, non-lethal approach mm. to everything or you know like those sorts of things yeah um sticks was a game that i ended up playing uh, strategy wise it's about a goblin that like 
goes about and he honestly can't fight a lot of the enemies, right? So that mm. became a strategy in the terms of having to constantly hide because the moment you get spotted, you basically die. So that became a strategy of like, where could I navigate about the locations? But it's yeah, a strategy yeah. in a different sense. Like, where can I hide? What can I pick up to help me hide better? Mm. Those sorts of things. I also like, um, you're talking about like a, a pacifist game earlier, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like those games where you can kind of set your own strategy. Like, totally. I, I played through uh, Shadowrun Hong Kong, yeah. and you can actually play it through without killing anyone. Really? Yeah, because one of the characters has a handcuff ability if you knock someone out. So you can actually just knock out every enemy in the entire game, and just, like, every humanoid enemy, and just handcuff them. That's crazy. And it made it so much harder, but it was really interesting for me, that mm. level of, like... Self-imposed difficulty required more strategy. With yeah. Shadowrun, especially having that difficulty curve would have been a, a very unique challenge because that game can be a bit <laughs> hard in the best today. Oh yeah, <laughs> the amount of like reloading and saves coming. Yeah, I was about to say, Jesus, did you get a new ending for that? Nope. Although, Damn it! <laughs> my favorite thing is, and if you've ever played Hong Kong, you'll know what I'm talking about. Mm. The first real level of the game where you got to find a way to get into this guy's compound without killing any enemies, right? Yeah. Right. And you can, like, you know, go sneak in and find the code or hack into his computer system. Yep. What people probably don't know is you can actually just fight your way in, but instead of killing people, you handcuff them. Huh. And you completely fight your way in, but it counts yeah. as not killing anyone. There okay. you go. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's a very unique way to approach it. And I think that's very much why Shadowrun Hong Kong was uh, hailed as, like, one of the better... RPG um, simulations just because of the amount of variety you could do. Yeah. Mm. And just that little bit of reward being like, oh, you found a neat way of doing this? That's such a fun feeling in games. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you get rewarded for going outside of the box or yeah, yeah. using mechanics that were just kind of like put in there as a, like a, this is a thing that you can do, but most people were, aren't going to do it. Yeah. You being uh, so much of a sniper, you probably abuse those mechanics sometimes in terms of like, oh, there's a barrel. Oh, I'll shoot that instead. Oh boy, do I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do like my environmental kills. <laughs> They're a lot of fun. <laughs> I feel, feel, like, feel like I'm just seeing Lewis being like, pulls out a calculator. I was like, oh, if I calculate this and I strategically place this barrel here. <laughs> Okay, since since we're talking about sniping, I, I have to mention that I'm playing Ghost Recon Breakpoint at the moment, right? Mm. The invisible got, guns. It's got to the point where I'm calculating bullet drop. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> because, like, like, it's fully simulated bullet drop, you know, like, with, like, um... Like concrete piercing and like, hmm. like those. There's like a level of ricochet that you can do as well. It's not great, so awesome. but there's a little bit, you know, just being able to do that. It feels so rewarding. Like badass. Yeah. <laughs> I calculated the math. I did right, and like when you are a sniper IRL, you know there is shit loads of math to be done. There's a reason why you have yeah. a spotter as and well. It takes six months to aim a shot. <laughs> Yes, sometimes. <laughs> Along that line, did you ever play the Sniper Elite games? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They felt like an ga a game entirely based around that feeling, right? Oh, that's entirely it. Yeah, like, wait for the plane to shoot, you know, shoot yeah, the, yeah. the light next to the and guy. And, like, every level has got some kind of, like, that kind of environmental factor yeah, going yeah. on. Or and like if it doesn't, it's like, right? oh, how do I do this? <laughs> you know? 
legit, it took me, I think it was like nearly four or five hours mm-hmm. for me to get through the first level on Sniper Elite really? 4. Because I, I refused to use the silenced ammo. Fair enough. Yeah. I refused. I was like, no, I'm going to do this properly. <laughs> not cheating. Because <laughs> why? Well, I, I don't know about the time period, but I feel like silences is a bit. Well, uh, like, you hear the thing all the time. Weird like, science. Snipers <laughs> never work that way. It's like a silencer makes a gun sound like a car going off, not a jet going off, right? Exactly, right? It's not the super quiet thing that you expect to hear the yeah. movies have like, like the... given <laughs> us and yeah yeah exactly otherwise um, everyone would just be using that all the time totally right um with all that killing i do with guns it legit took me like four or five hours to get through that first level mm. because i was like really sneaking around i wasn't trying to take out everybody but then there's an inherent risk with that because you know you yeah. take one wrong shot and everybody can come at you that was a, a major thing that actually happened in invisible ink i totally forgot about if you killed someone you had to like sit on the the radio and like make sure that no one noticed <laughs> so like you had to be careful where you shot and then you had to like devote resources i to wish that. that more games had mechanics like that actually yeah it feels too easy <laughs> to, to be able to just like sit on a ridge and just go, all right, pew, pew, pew. Agent 47 style. Oh no, somebody's seen that body. I guess I'll move 10 feet to the yeah. left. Like, well, I think that's the problem that stealth games have in general, which is they either feel too binary, which is like the second you step out of place, game yeah. over, or yeah. suddenly it's a combat game. Well, there's, there's either like an on or an off. Yeah. Or there's the like... Games where, like, you punch someone in the face and then crouch and they're like, where did he go? Payday yeah, 2. Yeah. Payday 2 is Skyrim. Like, it's a pretty common <laughs> thing, right? Totally. Totally. I wish, but, like, certainly with, like, modern stealth mm, games, mm. like, yeah. Ghost Recons and, like, those sorts of things. If you, like, killed someone, even if it's, like, from a distance, being able to maintain their, like, radio position would yeah. be amazing. Yeah. You know. One of the unexpected can... stealth games I found that also lands in the strategy was um, Mutant Year Zero. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, please, go on. <laughs> absolutely hated it. <laughs> I wanted it to be more than it was, really. Yeah. It, it just, like, it's meant to... It sold off as this whole uh, strategy XCOM-style shooter, and then if you don't... Um, keep up with things and you don't go about trying to abuse mechanics by stealthing through and finding guns you just find yourself in so many unwinnable situations <laughs> I, I like that it's now abusing mechanics yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about this before but basically i i feel like the game itself was badly designed right mm. like you're supposed to like it's a game an encounter is placed in front of you and unless it's obviously bad you fight that encounter right yeah. Like, quite early on, there's an encounter that's, like, level 50 guy and level 1, and obviously you're supposed to sneak around it. Yeah. But, like, when you encounter a couple level 3 guys when you're level 3, that feels like an encounter you should fight. Yeah. But and it's very much not. Yeah, but, well, Aaron was saying this earlier, he, he maintains that, like, what you're supposed to do is sneak past that, sneak into the next three areas, get the guns from it, and then, then go come back, back and yeah. fight the first one. Now, I don't know if that's the case or not, but I bloody hope it's not. Yeah. I mean, or like, is it a case of get good? Yeah, I mean, the, the whole the whole concept was <laughs> was about trying to survive on the resources you had, right? Yeah. So yeah, maybe yeah. maybe it was like it's it's a bit of a it's a hard thing to nail down whether or not it was designed like by design or not. 
Mm. The problem I have with Mutant Year Zero is the problem I have with um, Shadowrun and the problem I have with XCOM. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> is that the, the, the game of, like, you know, kind of third-ish person square-based strategy games is relatively new. Like, it was really brought into the forefront by XCOM. Yeah. And people haven't bloody standardized the controls yet. Like, mm. I'll play one game, left click moves me to that location. The yes. next game, left click shoots. Next game, left click does this. So the problem I had with Mutant Year Zero so much was like, I'm like, okay, I'm really stealthy. I've set up all my guys in the right position. I'll right click to target this guy. Oh, I just moved to right in front of him. Like, yeah, okay. Mm. Okay. Reload! Oh, just, yeah, right? I mean, I feel like for games like that, there should be like two sets of controls, right? Hmm camera and pointing a mouse somewhere to click a button that should be it and then have everything on a bar like at the bottom so you have like a yeah, like, button for movement and then you can like yeah like everything's just hotkeys like if i want to shoot someone yeah, i'll press yeah. body one yeah, or yeah. i'll click the yeah, shoot absolutely. button i'll pull out absolutely. my gun and then yeah. I'll, yeah and that's a problem that i have with video games in general is mm. the the standardization of controls like We've done you play them. one thing and it's this thing you put, go to another game like maybe a couple hours later and it's like yeah. uh, what am I doing with this controller like, I, th- I think it gets, it's better in a genre that's more mature like yes. a lot of games are standardized on a certain control layer yeah but absolutely. especially with like new genres it's just and you can yeah. imagine new people trying to learn that as well if that's the first kind of games they're getting into. Because we've got some of the ones that are yeah. standardized, like A is jump and like yeah, X yeah. is attack and stuff like that. I mean, like, like some people are like board game people who like jump immediately into like hardcore strategy games on computer, right? <laughs> that's a mistake. <laughs> I mean, it, but it's not necessarily a mistake because, you know, like the, the tactical strategic mind is already there. Yeah. I suppose that's why, like, people who play a lot of board games and stuff like that, that I know of, like, kind of enjoy Civ, is that as much as that's a... Yeah. It's, it's like a leap, but it's not, a, it's not like a Stellaris leap, right? Oh, Stellaris is in its own category. Of strategy, <laughs> yeah. Of the, strategy. The, the glaze far off look, as you say that. Yeah. yeah. Partially, it's kind of one of those ones that's like, I could sit here for, like, 20 minutes and do nothing, right? Because you're waiting for stuff to happen. Uh-huh. Or it's... You could micromanage every single person on the place oh of no, the universe. Everything's happening at once. I'm going to die. I need to fight back. Where is my fleet? It's going to take how many years to move to this <laughs> system? Uh... <laughs> I did. I very much did not get invested in that game because I knew that would happen to me. I was but like, no. Nah. With all of that complaining, though, I still enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I guess, I guess I really, I'll be roped into that at some point. I enjoy it for, mostly for um, creating new um, like factions to play. Yeah, all the character the, creator in that yeah, game. Yeah, the faction it's customization very is yeah, yeah. like A+. Plus. Yeah, because it's like I want this civilization trait with this civilization trait. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Oh. The min max's dream. <laughs> this tangent of a tangent of a tangent. Uh, I, I watched this guy streaming the other day, a little while ago now, and he said something that I really liked. He was playing, I think, Civil, maybe even Stellaris at the time, and he said, I really like to make civilizations that I would enjoy living in. Oh, yeah. Right? And that's what I thought. Because, like, how many times do you, like, okay, I don't like this particular ideology, but I'll pick it because it's got the best efficiency. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I find I'm, I'm not big on the uh, like militaristic. Yeah, yeah. Or even like xenophobia type things. I really enjoy like the trading aspects a lot of the time. So I end up playing the game mechanics I enjoy, mm, even if yeah. I don't agree with those ideologies. Yeah, the corporation update was amazing for Stellaris. Yeah. Like, it's very much as I've spent so many hours in a lot of different games that didn't really have good trading mechanics. Trading? Yeah, I think I'll just... <laughs> I mean, that one time we played, uh, Battle... Uh, was it, um, Twilight Imperium, and I just traded for the entire game? Oh, man. Twilight Imperium. That game uh, you can spend ten hours on and... Solaris, the board game. <laughs> I mean, basically. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, along those lines, though, I actually, um... There's these... I was played this game in university and it was kind of a basic strategy game like it was almost cooker click uh, cookie clicker thank you you're welcome uh, ish <laughs> we'll edit that <laughs> no I won't anyway it was cookie clicker ish but it was supposed to be like a social commentary and it was mainly built around the tech tree right okay. so there was a really efficient way you could go but it was all like okay so you can like do homegrown cookies in which case you like you know Slowly produce cookies over time, right? Or you can hire some slaves to like cook the cookies for you, and it'll be really fast, right? And the entire game was about this like branching narrative tree of like really efficient, effective decisions that were horrific. Yeah. And they never played out. There was actually no negative attached to any of them. But it was just this like the stigma of like, do I want to increase my cookie production by using slavery? Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I read this uh, this article once actually, very much on the university topic in mm. Cookie Clicker, is that a lot of the reason why university students get kind of caught playing video games in the middle of classes is that they find those cookie clickers nice to kind of um, stimulate the brain between their, their different subjects, so like have something mm. they can click over to. And it's very much not because the game is a good game, but very much because of the fact that they can sort of jump in, jump out of what they're actually paying attention to at the time. Okay. Which is interesting. Hmm? Along those lines, yeah. I hope no one from my work ever listens to this. <laughs> I have, I think, 500 hours in Screeps. Yeah. Which is like, it, the game itself is like, it's like one of those classic like programmer games where you built an ant colony that fights other programmers' ant colonies. Oh, yeah. You do that with Java. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I just always had it in the background open at work for like months. And mm. months, as well as like 500 hours. And I was actually playing on like a private server with other people from my work. Like we're all programmers and we're all playing this fighting programming game against one another. And I think it was for the same reasons where it was just like something stimulating between things. Not yeah. something to think about, but just... So you could reset and quickly type a line of code and be like, okay, now these guys will start getting these resources mm. and then I'll click back to what I'm doing. And then, oh yeah, like I was managing that an yeah. hour ago. Yeah. Hmm. That's nice. Yeah, I, I very much want to pick it up at some point, but the problem is, is that I just like don't have time. <laughs> Fair. It's also yeah. very hard. Yeah, I tried. <laughs> I tried learning that like at just just for an hour, and I was like, ah, oh, brain aneurysm. Yeah, the, yeah it, it's learning Java. <laughs> as I said before, don't get me started. <laughs> I find any programming game, right? Like any mm. game that involves programming to get like gain skills in it is a great way to realize how much you suck at programming. Yes. Like, you're like, okay, I'm a pretty competent programmer. I do this for a living, and I'll go play the game, and there'll be, like, <laughs> the guy at the top of the leaderboards whose AI is, like, insane, and you're like, ah, guess I better find a new career. Yep. Oh. I remember you telling me that there was one guy who was just, like, had 
so many different lines of code that you're just like, ah. Uh. Well, circling back to this this topic, I think it was strategy. There was, there was so many different like strategies at the top level. Like there was like you know. R strategies, which is like mm. you create a bunch of different guys who go out and claim and they're almost suicidal, or like the big strategies where you just have like a few really efficient colonies. And oh, okay, the playing tall. Yeah, mm. yeah. And the fact that that existed in a game where you programmed the AI was super interesting to me. Yeah. Because like it exists in a lot of different games, like the horde strategy versus the tall strategy. Yeah. Mm. Micro versus macro. Yeah, yeah. But seeing that when you have to program it was really interesting. I wonder which one would have been harder to program. Because, like, you'd have to do the variables of that maneuvering well, and searching... Uh, both would have their own, like, drawbacks. I suspect the, the the math strategy was harder to program, but I imagine the tall strategy was harder to plan the programming of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, like, in the way that you set it out. Mm. Mm. Totally. Mm. I can see that. Yeah. Huh. Oh. <laughs> Thought-provoking moment. I've learned something. <laughs> the more you know. Yeah. The more you know. So, but back on back on target. Back on, stay on target. Stay on target. Into the Breach. How do we find that? Speaking of games I've played far too much at work, Into the Breach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that... The, the uh, episode where you lose your job. <laughs> yes, the first episode where I lose my job. It took one episode. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of strategy. <laughs> yeah, that game is... um Robot chess? <laughs> yeah, like, it is very much like a chess puzzle, right? Mm. Like, the amount of times I would just take a screenshot of the board functionally, send it to my friend, and we'd just talk at work about, like, maybe you put this here, then this will happen, and... <laughs> It's so awesome. I mean, I used to, I played it for a few hours at home, right? But like having the ability to bounce that back and forth and have a conversation over that, Mm. that's such a good water cooler game. Have you you played it, Lewis? I haven't, actually. Oh, okay. Um, So, uh, was Into the Breach is very much where you get three mechs and you've got to protect uh, the earth from being invaded by gigantic bugs. And right, yeah, and so you move them around <laughs> a different squares, trying to protect different buildings from being destroyed by these giant bugs, right? Which means okay. sometimes you like jump in front of guns, or you like punch one bug into another bug that kills both bugs because they're, they're gigantic. And then what happens is is that you travel back in time when you fail because you want to save the universe correctly, right? Which is why it has a giant okay. loop of replayability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and good. you can take yeah. you can take new mechs back in time too, which then Road change the variable. Yeah, yeah, it's got that like edge of tomorrow feel of yeah. it. Mm-hmm. The breach being the time breach. Uh, yeah. And then when you finish it, it's like, oh, we gotta go back. We gotta yeah, go back. Yeah, yeah. Or um, Looper. Yeah. Oh. Man, that was such a good movie. Yeah. From purely like uh, storytelling point of view, the 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 interesting thing is the the concept is the world is about to be destroyed. Yeah. And they invented this time machine, right? But by inventing the time machine, they splintered the universe into, like, infinite copies. But what that means is there are now infinite worlds that need their help. So even when you save the day, because you've created this time machine, you've got to go back and save it in a different reality. Oh, jeez. It's just very depressing. (laughs) That's really sad. Could you imagine being on the sign-up list for that? Yeah, I'm just going to spend eternity saving different universes. I just wouldn't sign up. I'd go, well, you've made your bed. I guess we're all going to sleep. But imagine if you made that bed, right? You're like, well, I'm doomed. I doomed. I created and simultaneously doomed infinite people. I don't think I could live with it. 
honestly. Yeah. So in every universe, I really you just... don't. I would, I would just go. Well, I guess this is it. I'm <laughs> sucks to be infinite people. I'm out. Sucks to be the human race forever and ever. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh god. Here's the interesting concept. After that, would you yourself, in every single version, make the concept of "I'm over it now. I'm done. I'm dying. I'm yeah. good." Or would Probably. you change? Your mind. I mean, that's that's like a deep philosophical well, question, right? Okay, yeah. so so that depends on each version of me knowing about what's happened, right, and being the root cause of it. And if then there I- are infinite uh, worlds to save, surely in some of them, I'm not the cause. Well, the, the idea is, even that moment you create the device. That moment is split a million times. Uh, so you okay. press the button, so, it creates the device, you realize yeah, what happened, yeah. and infinite of you are like, fuck. Okay. <laughs> so then that that makes me ask the question then, is there a universe in which I didn't do that, but somebody else did it instead? <laughs> but Can I'm, I not be responsible? But I'm, but I'm like... <laughs> A guy who's friends with them. Or but, like <laughs> 500 Lewis has escaped to the one world where he didn't press the button. Oh god. Because <laughs> if you had that idea, every other universe you had to have that idea, right? And depending on what universe it is, act on it or don't act on it. Yeah. Flip a coin, see which way you go. See, oh my god. I don't know. Imagine if there was, just say there were two copies of you. In parallel universes. That's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to in, begin with. <laughs> in this exact moment, there are two copies of you. Right. Would you find it weirder if you both did the exact same thing or you did different things? I would find it weirder if we did the exact same thing. See, I would always find it weirder if we did different things. Because if we did the exact same thing, to me that says, I am a human being with consistent thoughts. If we did different things, it means what I do is semi-chance-based. Well, I have dimension like, phobia now. So so there is a level of probability on the way that you're going to act, right? Is there? That's kind of scary to me. I mean, yes, it is scary, but I would find it scarier based on that pro- probability to find that the other universe me is acting in the same way as me, right? Because if there if there is a multiverse, right... Each version of you is slightly different due to due to nurture, right? So we have an inherent nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then through environmental factors, being raised by parents, blah 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 blah. Sure, sure, sure. We develop into our, you know, adult personalities, right? Life is a strategy game now. And life has always been oh, a strategy right, game. I forgot the topic of the episode. <laughs> um so like like based on that probability, I would be terrified if well, if if this different version of me acted in the same way because technically they're an entirely different person with slightly different thoughts, feelings. Well, that, that's the thing, is right. Like nature. A lot of your premise was based on the fact that you're different. Yeah. Whereas like I'm saying exactly like not they had different upgrading. I'm saying right now this moment is fractured into two moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you said earlier you're like. You said it almost statement fact, where yeah. you're like, well, there is a probability you do each action. Yeah, I guess so. I don't like that concept, that's scary. So there's a and probability you, but, you're but on the podcast yes. and then not? But like, like if, if it's... <laughs> Never again, I got you. Yeah, if, cool. it was, if it was this exact moment, right, I would either, like, there is a, like a 50-50 chance if there's two of me yeah, yeah. that... One of me keeps talking about it, and then the other one changes the subject. <laughs> you know. I think I'm picking up some vibes. Oh, I was watching um, 
think Lindsay Ellis's videos the other night, okay. mm-hmm. and all of her like Lord of the Rings videos are always like, "I'm doing a three part series," and she gets to the third one, it's like there is a second part of this video. <laughs> <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Is it because it's too long? <laughs> oh, shots fired! No, I'm more, I'm more. In fact, I'm more taking shots at things like. Um, Harry Potter, uh, the Hobbit. Deathly Hallows Part 1, Part oh. 2, oh, um, The Hunger Games uh, Mockingjay Part 1, Part 2. What was the go with that anyway? Just let's stretch the last movie out into too many... It's called money. Yeah, fair. Yes, but also because like it's they're based on books and because it's final book, they're like, yeah, let's give it the conclusion it deserves. So The Hobbit by was... By ruining gonna, it. Yeah, by ruining it with two parts. So the Hobbit is the final watch. book with three parts. Uh, the Hobbit doesn't exist. Uh, <laughs> well, the book exists. Mm. I'm not sure about any other media. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite bit about the Hobbit mm. is this is a deleted scene. <laughs> where... <laughs> oh yes, the one that not many people have seen. <laughs> where the dwarves shoot their catapults and it fires this fucking like ballista bolt. With like a helicopter blade around it, huh. and the idea is it like Fun. deflects incoming arrows. And I looked into it; and it's like this big thing in the book they call twirly whirlies. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's ridiculous. Okay, but, but it's also, not in anything. Also, <sighs> that doesn't have any real practical application, right? Because if you have a ballista bolt, yeah. it's moving far too quickly for someone well, to fire thing. an arrow they do at like this. to they do stop this, like, it. Very slow parabolic arc, like almost designed to just sweep up arrows. Which, if you think about it, and of course, um, the creator of the books thought about it, because he was that kind of guy. <laughs> if your ancestral enemy is elves, uh, yeah. you're gonna come up with stuff that defeats arrows. Like, that, that does make sense. Yeah. yeah. I'm just, it's just what I'm imagining doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's, it, it's ridiculously silly. I have to look that deleted scene up now yep. just look to see that. Twirly Whirly's Hobbit, and I'm sure it'll come up. Twirly Whirly's Hobbit, yeah. you've heard it here. <laughs> and oh, I went, uh, a friend of mine's trying to get me into the, the, the miniatures game for the Hobbit, right? Yeah. And they're in there. Huh. Are they? Yeah. It literally gives, like, negatives Ooh, to be shot if you have them. That actually like, makes me oh, want to play it. Uh, right? <laughs> What's the dumbest thing that I can have? Ah, it's called the Twirly Whirlies, I see. <laughs> Excellent. Sold. I'm now, I now just Give want... Give me ten. <laughs> I now just want Twirly Whirlies in every strategy game ever, just so I could be like right. that. I mean, to be honest, I'm hungry for a Curly Whirly now. Yeah. <laughs> I've had... Every time I see... Quote, Curly Whirlies, Curly Whirlies. Have you seen Sex Ed? It's a Netflix TV show. Yes, I have. No, but I feel Brilliant. like I should watch really, this. Brilliant, I love it. It's like my favorite show. But in one of the early episodes, this bully steals this guy's Curly Whirly yeah. and crunches it up into this egg-shaped thing and yes. just... Yep. And I want to do that, but I'm scared to. <laughs> Honestly, it's the best way to eat a Curly Whirly. Yeah. Yep. You're scared. <laughs> I've That's been doing, my phobia today. I've been doing that... <laughs> doing that since I was a small child. Ah, I think it's a very British thing. weird. <laughs> I think, no, I think it's a very British thing. We already knew that. Yeah, fair enough. We're all weird at this table. Uh, Speak for yourself. Yes. <laughs> speaking of really good There's strategy no games. Whirly whirly. <laughs> speaking of, yes, because that's what we're speaking of currently. Yeah, speaking of strategy games, one of the good ones was Game of Thrones uh, board game strategy. 
Like the oh, miniature one? What are you wait, wait, wait. Do you mean the that... one that I have covering my entire table <laughs> right next to us? Yes. A Song of Ice and Fire? That's it. I ah. believe is its true name. A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game. Ah. Ah. <laughs> yes, I adore it. It is taking over my life and my shelves. Before and, or after Arkham Horror? Ah, that's the other thing I might do. <laughs> <laughs> Just a paint picture we're covered in, in yeah, Arkham yes. Horror cars so, and Game of Thrones miniatures. Yeah. I'm on this podcast, I was bought in for the strategy one, I'm obviously a fan of strategy games. Yeah. But I feel like my love of strategy games is vastly outweighed by my love of strategy board games and tabletop games. Yeah. Absolutely. Many hours have been spent playing board games and strategy games at this table. I've yes. been playing uh, Gloomhaven for the last... Seven, eight months. <laughs> Are you okay? Are you I, even uh, through the first chapter? Uh, there aren't any chapters. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm adding to this podcast? A news segment. A news segment. Purely, so I can ask you this question. Okay. Did you hear about the new Gloomhaven stuff that was like announced recently? Yes. Please explain. Yes. I have not. Um, so I think it was maybe two or three weeks ago as of the recording of this podcast. Um, I think it was um, a Gloomhaven expansion called the Forgotten Circles um, <laughs> released. It's <laughs> a very silly name. Uh, yes, there are a lot of circles in Gloomhaven, actually. Okay. <laughs> Isn't the Forgotten Circle one of the Arkham Horror Packs? It's a circle undone. There we go. It's still a weird name. Oh, that's like a cult thing, though, surely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's what I thought of when you said the Forgotten Circles. It's not a cult thing? I don't know if it is. I haven't looked too much into it, because if I do that, there will be spoilers. True. Mm. Um, but I know that it's added, I think, uh, four new classes. Mm. Um... I also haven't looked into that because <laughs> spoilers. Like th- that's the thing with Gloomhaven, right? There's plenty to talk about, but if you're, you're gonna play it, you don't want any spoilers. Which you should bring over sometime. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, on that exact same train, Final Fantasy, uh, Fantasy Flight Games does like spoiler articles for new products on their website. Yeah. And every time there's an Arkham Horror one, I'm like, I'm really interested in reading that, but I can't because it has all the spoilers for the scenario. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know what? You know what they need? They need like uh, the Reddit spoiler redacted oh, God, thing. Yeah. That would be amazing. Yeah. Just like the thing is the the database for the game yeah. has that. Whenever there's a thing, it's like yeah, it's out or like. Black Dover, which is a ter- redacted. I look- Thank you. <laughs> I looked up a, a pack today, actually. Pterodactyl. Ah, oh, yes, that was the word I was looking for. I looked up a pack today when I was looking at the custom ammo cards, and I saw that and how those all reacted. I'm like, yeah, that's it's amazing. Such a good system. It means you don't lose any of the story yeah. beats, and you can still play it through. I like uh, digital redacting. Mm. It's really nice. Just to be able to, like, click a button and it hides these things, you know, like, rather than, like, old school, like, FBI files. Like, <laughs> like every every other word is redacted so that you've only got, like, the conjoining <laughs> sentence. I <words>. am <laughs> the... It looks like a crazy person trying to, like, find a message in a newspaper. Like, yes. the person is hiding. <laughs> oh, yes. All the information I needed. <laughs> The spy card. <laughs> the thieves can't. Yeah. 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 But the, the, that is such a weird, like, until until recently, I didn't even know that existed. That's thieves such a can. weird... Yeah, thieves count. That language. 
I mean, like, well, it's basically Cockney rhyming slang. <laughs> Why is Cockney rhyming slang in D and D? Like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's I mean, very well, British. D and D is it's whatever you make it based on, you know. Like, however, your DM rules. So, so what thieves can't understand it is the is the running term. <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, <laughs> I think my favorite example of that kind of secret language is in um the L five R RPG. L five R standing for Legend, Legend of the Five, Five Rings. Rings. Thank you. Which I'm super interested in playing. It's very good. Very cinematic. I yeah. love that. There's this one ability you can get which is called cadence and the idea is you can send secret messages while talking to someone oh okay so you could be like and i like the idea of it being like oh like oh yeah so i was went into the beach the other day and <laughs> at the beach there was some friends there for the record he's just widening his eyes <laughs> <laughs> yes it translates on every way. emphasis yeah. <laughs> with the beach yeah and I, I just like the idea of using it to threaten people just like I like the idea that you could use the like amount of syllables to like oh like Morse code in your speech yeah 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 exactly and that's that's like a very like uh, Sherlock type thing and like <laughs> he said it in his like, numbers you didn't realize Watson but he was speaking yeah. in Morse code <laughs> Watson's there just like what <laughs> <laughs> I I actually. There was a, a study about, like, what makes a good Sherlock Holmes, uh, ep- like, episode or story versus what doesn't. And sure. then, like, very much if you can pick up on the on some of the beats and you see those beats happen when Sherlock connects them, it's better. Then yes. if Sherlock just picks out a random thing that no one in the audience was even aware of or alluded to or, like, yeah, yeah, foreshadowed. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, so because this tiny scratch on a wall does this thing. <laughs> I need to talk about scratches in Sherlock Holmes. Oh. Okay. So, have we all seen Sherlock? Yeah. The, yes. the BBC special. With Benadryl Cabbage Patch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the smoke. Yes, yeah, smoke plays the lead role. Yeah. Not, not um, the one where we break everyone's ribs in, in on the movies and whatnot. I've forgotten. <laughs> Robbie Downey Jr. Oh, I love his smart combat vision. Yes. It's very cool. First, oh, it's very cool. <laughs> it's very... It's like in every remix ever. Yeah. Going back to the scratches thing. I love it. It's, I really like the TV show. But one of the first deductions he does is he looks at Watson's phone. He looks at Bilbo's phone. And he's <laughs> like, ah, whoever's phone this is a, is a drunk man because they have scratches around the power port when they plug in their phone. Because the idea being every night they are drunk and they go home and can't plug in their phone properly. Well, and or when you're an alcoholic, you develop the shakes. Yeah, uh, yeah, so when you're like you don't sh- drink. shaking as you yeah, put yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. There was one with a pocket watch, I remember, with the whole drunk thing. In yeah, yeah, but I don't watch. know about you guys, but I can never fucking put in my PowerPoint right? 30 times. <laughs> I agree with you. I, and I'm sober. I also saw that deduction. I went, I do that. <laughs> But I'm not a drunk. Like, (laughs) I I think Aaron had a really good point, which is like a good Sherlock thing is like it's intuitive, but there's a bit of a leap that you probably wouldn't make yourself. Yeah, that one just felt wrong. But to be fair, right, that was their first episode. Yeah, that was their pilot episode, and they were testing the waters. I think. True. True. And or just introducing some um, Watson, you know. Just seeing how many people they can like trigger in an episode. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> Do you know those two like hate each other? 
Do they? Like, they don't hate each other, but they're very like they don't Martin like each Freeman other. Martin Freeman and Benadryl Cabbage Patch. Yes, yeah, Spillbone Small can't get along. It's it's like <laughs> what a shock. It's like Mythbusters all <laughs> One over again. One is a dragon, yes. the other is a Hobbit boy. <laughs> da, 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 da. Yeah, it's like uh, the Mythbusters thing where um a, uh, Adam and Savage Jamie don't like each other. Yeah, particularly. yeah, yeah. Like they, they have a professional camaraderie, but. There just isn't anything there. Yeah, that's interesting. And then on I, the I show... that you have a, a, a chemistry or you don't. Yeah. yeah. You're a very yeah. good actor. But, like, in the first couple <laughs> seasons, they, they seem to have their chemistry to the point yeah. where you think they have it. But yeah. I kind of suspect that's why the last couple of seasons, they don't hang out that much. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I guess it's just, like, differences in opinion and, and all that. Actually, that was the thing that he talked about, because he actually got up and did a, a bit of a, like, a talk on it, because everyone was really surprised. Uh, Adam Savage. I love Adam. Okay, yeah. Uh, he got best. up. He got up and had his, a talk about. Yes. Yeah, he got up and had a talk about the fact that, uh, like, they very much had. Yeah, we want to do X, right? But they had conflicting ideas on how to do that. That's why in a lot of the episodes you have them competing because they all thought like, I want to, This is how you should do it, or this is how you should do it, and they were conflicting so much that they may as well do a competition and make that an episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although I will say one of the things that he said the most, like that, really touched me about their relationship mm. is while they always had that they always had the the com- competitive spirit is when they had to work together they always respected each other's different approaches mm. like that that really spoke to me as like you know even if you don't like someone even if you don't get along you can really respect where they're coming yeah. from it's like well, workmates well, when you're so like high up and respected in mm. your like industry so mm. they do similar things right yeah. they're both like pyrotechnics guys special effects guys for like movies TV that sort of thing yeah. right when you both do the same thing, you have to have like a level of respect for the other person and how they work because both can bring such like interesting and out of the box ideas to like a challenge. Yeah. Mm. Which is why I think they work together quite well. Yeah, doesn't yeah. mean they have to like each other. Yeah, well, you you say that. I, I I think a lot of people in that position have a tendency to be maybe a bit arrogant and not yeah. respect people that are equally skilled as them that have different opinions. Get a bit picky, maybe, as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Or, um, I do this thing this way and you that's the right yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. Your way is garbage. It doesn't work. I've tried it before. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And, and that's why Adam respecting Jamie's methods struck me so much because, you know, he wasn't like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think if you're at the top of your field, but you're still willing to learn, then I think that's like an amazing feature. Mm, mm. Mm. You could say it's a strategy applied to... Bring it back around. See, our tangents are going in correct direction. I don't know if that's a true statement. No. <laughs> it's strategically placed. It was a strategically placed statement, but... Uh... <laughs> but we all called you out on it, so fuck off. I want to talk about a strategy game that I've not played. Oh. Okay. Because it doesn't exist. Sure. But it, it's relevant to what Ooh, we were just talking about. Game idea. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see a combat strategy game Okay. That is about conversations. Now, the, the, the limiting factor to me here Ooh. is there are two things that are really important to me, right? Right. Mm. One, it can't just be a battle thing where you replace strike with word and health with mental. Because yeah. there is one that is like that with yeah, replacing there, there are tons it. Gritland like that, right? is like the newest one. And mm. two, I think you either need to come up with a replacement for or to somehow work in movement into the game. 
Because yeah, okay. So many games that aren't like that are like conversational trees. Yes. But they're very static. They feel very yeah, static. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And maneuvers come into conversations as much as anything else, like maneuvering your hands to show exposition. It's like why gesticulating. Yeah, that's why like having a podcast can always I don't a bit. Think that's correct. No, gesticulating. No, just no, ge- just gesticulating. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just Um, that's why oh, having maybe it is. Damn it. Maybe I'm wrong too. <laughs> That's why having a podcast and trying to convey all of this information is really difficult when we don't have the ability to s- slideshow. <laughs> you and mean my widening eyes didn't come through before? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I narrated it. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> we have a narrator from the Darkest Dungeon. I'm, I'm new to this. Um, But, like, that sounds amazing as like, mm. a game concept, right? It's It's vicious mockery the game i love right? that yeah <laughs> someone yeah. use that as a name like i i for the life of me i don't know how you do it yeah well i can see um you know like putting in like like having like a custom input so like each person has their own style based on what they can come up with and mm. type different cards well, something that... but then there's like an issue with like indexing every word and every yeah. combination of word and like that's a lot <laughs> well something that Aaron mentioned actually earlier which I found kind of an interesting concept and because you talked so much about Gleamhaven recently yeah is the idea of I would like to see something and this is just super boring, is you have a hand of cards that are double sided like Gloomhaven, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the top of it is an idea that you could convey via words, and right. the bottom of it is an alteration based on gesticulation, right? Because okay. especially the English language has this in spades. It's like you know, you know, the tone of something like, "Wow, your hair looks great," versus "Wow, your hair looks great." Yeah. Damn. <laughs> Absolutely right. Yeah, based on the way that you say things, you know, like. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, holy crap. <laughs> no, like, just because I get so sick of every game having, like, oh, check out this cool combat we're going to go, check out this new mechanic, we're doing this in a different way. Yeah. And then the the, the speech is, like, person's dialogue, one, two, three, response. Every game. Yep. Tell me more about Vicious Mockery, <laughs> the game. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's always the same. It's, like, one is continued, two is tell me more, and three is, like, say something edgy. Yeah, yeah, totally. Speaking of edgy, strategic games that uh, I want to rant about. Please no. <laughs> Let me guess, it's Dark Future Bloodsticks 2 The Edgelord Returns. Electric <laughs> uh, <laughs> Boogaloo. I was, That's not edgy enough. <laughs> I was so excited for that. It's like a, de- a death race strategy game, right? Yeah, yeah. Off the game's workshop license of all things. Oh, weird. Yeah, mm. so it was an old game's workshop license. And so what happened was, is that they, they tried to build this whole racing strategy game where you, you strategically placed your guns and your rockets and your fuel and everything. And then because of the fact that the mechanics of the actual board game weren't developed enough, they just put that in and then called it a day, which oh, really no. disappointed me because it meant that like I played it for an hour and I was just like, yeah, I've kind of played the whole That's game like at this point. Minimal effort. Yeah, and it's like, the whole customization could have been great, but effectively it came down to, do you want machine guns, or do you want, like, Uzis? There's no major difference, but, like, they don't even tell you the difference. They fire at the same rate, it's just this one does slightly yeah. more damage. So there was, like, no point to progress, there was no customization, and then it was basically just, like, your character happened to be the the way at which you unlock them as you play the stories. Yeah, you get a okay. different character with a slightly different perk. That feels bad. Yeah, and I was just like, I was so disappointed. 
Why not? Mm. Well, I, I heard about this uh, a little while ago, right? Because you mentioned it was Games Workshop. Yeah. Mm. They took this strategy, I think maybe like three or four years ago now, is they used to be very protective with their license, right? Yeah. You know, they're this big brand, Games Workshop. But they <laughs> We are Games Workshop, bow down to yeah. us. <laughs> but they recently... Space Marines. <laughs> they recently just said, like, if you want to do with our game with a license... If you want to do a game with our license... Sure. Yeah. Like, practically sure. Now, if you wanted to do something with, like, something like, oh, I want to do a game about the ultra character that is the main character. Yeah, no, no, no. But if you want to use orcs in your game, or you yeah. want to use, like, dwarves, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, you I remember... basically get it for free. I yeah. remember them being something like a scattershot approach in order to promote the um, brand itself. Yeah, because, like... Even a bad game for them promotes their brand more than not. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the amount of sales dictates exactly the amount of people they're branding to so why do advertisement when you can do like a game well, yeah like say so you don't actually play like space hulk deathwing yeah, space hulk deathwing yeah 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 exactly like say you don't necessarily play the tabletop game mm. or like whatever but you yeah you happen to pick up um like deathwing the the video game and enjoy that you know it was so that's interesting a, that's a potential in yeah I, I think a big part of why the strategy worked for them is their law, partially because of the way it was constructed to fit in small books, yeah. is so Moorish. Yeah. Like, you're like, wait, the orcs have this thing where they don't use technology, they just kind of all believe in it hard enough that it comes true? That's just such an interesting concept. Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Excuse me? That's why I play orcs, it's amazing. Yeah, so the way orcs work in 40k... They is... collectively will things well, into existence. They're, they're all just a little bit psychic, so when they all believe it's something at the same time, it just kind of happens. So it's like called the wog. <laughs> the red... Yeah, it's different. Oh, uh, the red yeah. the red cars go faster because red's the faster color, right? And it actually And they happens. all believe that and it's yep. a thing. Yeah. What? Uh, blue <laughs> is blue is considered lucky. So like if you ever see um armies with that sort of thing, it's like the, the orcs are believing that that blue thing is gonna be lucky and therefore. So what you really, really, really want is a red car with a blue stripe. Exactly. Yeah. But <laughs> like you just fell for the bait that I left, right? Which was yeah. that interesting tidbit. And now you want to know more about orcs, right? Well, yeah, I do. There yeah. isn't actually that much more to orcs. What? And the <laughs> right? Same, the same thing kind of applies to a lot of 40k and, you know, Age of Sigmar lore. Which is, it's all very, like, really cool and Moorish, but until you get really deep into it, it's just that, right? Yeah. So, by having the scattershot approach, if the game has just a small mention of, by the way, this is how orc technology works... Even if the game sucks, you're still like, oh, that's kind of interesting. They'll look into it more. It also makes you want to go and play an orc-specific game now, doesn't it? Well, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, see? like (laughs) A little bit. That makes me want to pick up, uh, what, Total War Warhammer 2. (laughs) Yeah, um, Dawn of War... Dawn of War 2? Um, the Retribution one does have orc campaigns. Go play that. I have. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) It's one of my favourite games. (laughs) I love love the purple orcs in that game. You know the ones you can't see because they're painted purple? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. like, like, yeah, that that, that makes me want to like mm. go pick up Total War yeah. Warhammer 2, for example, and go learn a bunch about like, I don't know, a lizard man thing. And that, or... that entire game is designed to be that, right? Everyone has yeah. just a tiny bit of lore. Now go find out more about it. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, and it like drip feeds you based on events that like happen in the world and goes like oh here's a small tidbit and here's how your like particular race uh, slash yes. clan reacts to this thing and you go oh 
hang on a minute. <laughs> I oh, need to go what? deeper. I need more. Now, as you can see, my house is pretty much covered in miniatures. Yes. <laughs> I didn't buy a single one until I started playing Total Warhammer 1. Okay. It's the game that got me into miniature gaming. Because I got into dwarves. I really liked how they yeah. played. There's some cool lore things. And I said to a friend, hey, Age of Sigma just came out. Why don't we buy the starter set? Yeah. Totally. Here we are today. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And well, and Total War, kind of like like the video game, kind of got kickstarted from a Games Workshop thing where mm-hmm. you have this like huge grand strategy and you move your army representative around it, and then when a battle happens, when a clash happens between two factions, you then break out the yeah. miniatures, yeah. break out the miniatures, and play it. When I um when I originally uh, got into it, one of my friends had just happened to get the starter set, and I played it a little bit, and that was cool. But Dawn of War, um, Dark Crusade, is what got me mm-hmm. back to like, oh, I'm gonna go dig out my miniatures and and start yeah. building and playing those because I was like, it's it wants I want to be in that world kind of yeah. thing. Absolutely. And even these days where I don't play 40k anymore, I still read their news. Still and every now and again, I see a new bit of lore or anything that really interests me. I'm like, I'm going to start a 40k army again. Yeah. That costs thousands of dollars. Yeah. Yeah, there's a reason I stopped buying 40k yeah. miniatures. Well, like, but... I, I, don't, I don't play any kind of Warhammer, right? Yeah. At least not yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Everyone will eventually play a game of Warhammer. But, like, I've read the first couple of Horus Heresy books. Mm. Oh, you need to grab those audiobooks off me, actually. I've got yes, the Horus Heresy ones. But, yeah, going back to it. I kind of disagree with the, the idiom that bad, like all publicity is good publicity. Yeah. I don't think it's the case. But I think with a brand like Games Workshop, for them, all publicity is good publicity. Yes, yeah. yeah, certainly if you're talking about Games Workshop, like concepts yeah. or the stuff that's based on Games Workshop stuff. Yeah. Oh, like yes. It's amazing for them, no matter how bad a game is. Because to a point, people just kind of not expect amazing things out of um, oh, games that are based on good, yeah. other stuff, right? It's a strategy. <laughs> it is a strategy. <laughs> no, it, it, is, it is a legit strategy that, like, devs and, uh, like... Um, marketing like, teams. Yeah, marketing teams use. Like, talking to us is a strategy to some degree. Not a very good one, but still, like... Like, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This has been the Station 5 podcast. Thank you for listening.